We are continuing in the Gospel of John this morning, but we are jumping ahead to John chapter 11. But before we jump into our passage this morning, I want to take a brief moment to talk about some things leading up to chapter 11. So, in the events leading up to our gospel story, Jesus has been performing many miracles, healed lots of people, but he's also been teaching. He's been teaching in public and in private, and in these teachings, through his parables, his mir- parables, miracles, healings, and in his public and private teachings, he's telling people who he is. So throughout the first 10 chapters of John's gospel, we see Jesus make numerous references to the fact that he's the son of God. The Father, God the Father, has given him authority over life and death. And his works, Jesus' works, testify to the fact that he has been sent by God. The gospel of John reveals that Jesus has been teaching people in public and in private and his disciples about who he is all along. But do they get it? Do they actually get who Jesus is yet? Let's go to scripture and see. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness is not unto death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by the means of it. Now Jesus loved Mary. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go into Judea again. And then he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awake him out of sleep. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus spoke to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many Jews had come to Mary and Martha to console them concerning their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, while Mary sat in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. And even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give to you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are Christ, the Son of God, he who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying quietly, The teacher is here and calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. 
Now Jesus had not come to the village, but he was still in the place where Martha had left him. When when the Jews who, who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Then Mary, when she came to Jesus, when, when she came to where Jesus was and saw him, fell at his feet, saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved and troubled. And he said to them, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone laid upon it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there is an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. I knew that thou hearest me always, but I have said this on account of the people standing by, that they may believe that thou didst send me. When he had said this, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with bandages and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary had seen what he did and believed in him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Church, will you pray with me? Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So at this point in John's gospel, we are introduced for the first time to three siblings from Bethany, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. Interesting. Interestingly, the gospel writer decides to explain further who Mary is, even though the particular event he's describing hasn't happened yet. He says, Mary is the one who will anoint the Lord's feet with her hair, but this won't occur until another chapter or two from now. So that happens later. But the gospel writer still introduces her. This is the family that we're talking about. This is the same Mary. And so although we are meeting these siblings for the first time in John's gospel, the simple message that is sent to Jesus by the sisters indicates that this family has an intimate relationship with Christ already. So the simple message is, Lord, he whom you love is ill. First, the the first thing that's indicated by this message is that Jesus has a very, very close relationship with Lazarus. The The phrase in Greek, honphilis, means strong affection or close friendship. And so by using this phrase, the sisters are essentially telling Jesus, your friend Lazarus, your close friend that you have a deep affection for is ill. They're letting him know that. The second thing that's communicated in this message is this is a request. This isn't just information. This is a request for Jesus to come back and heal Lazarus because 
in the Jewish culture at this particular time, to give this kind of information to somebody is an indirect and polite way of saying, you need to come and do this thing that I'm telling you about. So these two men have a strong affection for one another. They are close, close friends. And this is a, a polite request to come and heal Lazarus. So the sisters are essentially saying, Jesus, please come heal Lazarus, your close friend whom you love dearly because he is ill. Come back and help us, help him. In the preceding verses, the gospel writer explains that although Jesus loves this family, he still waits two days. So before you think that this is a cruel thing that, that Jesus has done or a strange thing that he's done by, by waiting, I want you to take a moment to think about your own relationship with God. When you lift things up in prayer to God, God always answers, but he doesn't always answer in the same way. Sometimes God responds by saying yes. Other times he responds by saying no. And sometimes he says, not yet, wait. And so although Jesus waits, the answer in this case is not yet, wait. In this case, Jesus waits, but he will go and his love for these three siblings will be revealed and expressed through the miracle that Jesus is about to perform that God calls him to. So two days later, two days go by, and Jesus informs his disciples that it's time to go to Judea to wake up Lazarus. The disciples misunderstand, thinking he means asleep, and so they're confused. They're thinking, let, let the man sleep. Let him heal. That'll help him. And Jesus then speaks plainly. Lazarus is dead, and Jesus is going to wake him up so that the disciples might believe and have faith. The disciples just don't get it yet. So when Jesus arrives at Bethany, he finds that Lazarus had been placed in the tomb four days ago. Before we go further, I want us to go on a brief detour into some religious customs, some Jewish customs surrounding resurrection, burial, and death at that particular time. So first, burial. When people died, people were typically placed in the tomb the same day. Tombs at that time were typically a cave and a, a stone was rolled over it. When somebody died, they would typically wrap the body in long strips of cloth and they would tightly bound the body and the face and they would put the body in a tomb for a year. And after a, a year, they would let the, over the course of that year, the body would decompose and the family would go back a year later, collect the bones, put them in a box and slide them into a slot in a wall, usually a tomb. So those are some of the burial practices and spices were also placed on the body to offset the stench. Now what's this big deal with four days? Why does the author mention four days? Well, there was a common belief at the time that the soul of the deceased would hover over the body for three days, and after the third day, the soul would leave. So by the author mentioning that Lazarus had been dead four days, he's drawing upon this, this custom and essentially telling his audience, Lazarus is beyond hope. He's dead. His soul is gone. It doesn't matter what you do, Jesus. It's over for him. But the story doesn't end there. Mourning practices. So at this time, it was common for other Jews to join the grieving family to honor the deceased. So for that first week, the family or the close relatives of the deceased person would typically stay in the home that week. And neighbors and fellow Jews would come by and 
bring food to the family, offer their condolences, and mourn with the family. So this was a very common thing for other Jews to be in the house with Martha and Mary while they are grieving, because it's only been four days, so it's still within that week time span. Resurrection of the dead. Nothing has been mentioned about resurrection of the dead yet. However, or in the story, where we are in the story right now, however, I want you to keep this in mind because it'll pertain to what we are talking about later. So there was a common belief held by many Palestinian Jews at this time, especially the Pharisees, and Jesus actually held this belief as well, and so do Mary and Martha. Common belief held by many Palestinian Jews, especially Pharisees, was that there would be a bodily resurrection of the dead at the end of time. And, and that there would be an afterlife before the resurrection. So this was orthodox. This was common belief, especially among Pharisees. And let's return to our story again, but keep all of that in mind. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet Jesus. And she greets him by saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. What an interesting statement that that's her first greeting. So Martha's statements convey two things at the same time. First, Martha is kind of disappointed that Jesus didn't respond immediately to the, the, the polite request that she made to come back and heal her brother. But she also makes a confession that Jesus has this deep and special relationship with God, that Jesus is a miracle worker and he's a rabbi from God. So she expresses disappointment and also a confession about who Jesus is. It's important to note that Martha's disappointment does not negate her faith. There are numerous examples throughout the Old Testament and throughout scripture in general, especially the Psalms, of people lifting up laments and grieving, but maintaining their faith. Because God's people are a people who can grieve and lament with hope and faith because God is who he says he is. So Martha's faith is not negated by this disappointment that she expresses. Now the conversation takes an interesting turn. Jesus tells her, your brother will rise again. Lazarus will rise again. And Martha, as any good Orthodox Jew would at the time, she responds with her Orthodox Jewish faith that Lazarus will rise on the last day. Yes, she affirms this and believes it. But Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? How amazing is this? God incarnate, Jesus, it's the resurrection and the life. Jesus has the power and authority over the present and future lives of believers. Therefore, everybody who believes is no longer bound by the power of sin and death. Even if believers die a physical death, that death has no power over them because Jesus is coming back and he will resurrect them. We have this hope. And even in life, believers who live need not fear spiritual or physical death because Jesus breaks the chains of sin and death. We are free and we have no need to fear. Through Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, believers live and die differently. 
because we have hope and faith that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And in response to Jesus' question, do you believe this? Martha responds with yes. Yes, Lord, I do, and I have believed for a while that you are the Christ, the Son of God, coming into the world. Martha gives the right answer. But she doesn't say, I believe that you are the resurrection and the life. The exchange between Martha and Mary is truly fascinating because it's almost like Martha is being taken through this confession of faith by Jesus. But she still fails to fully understand what it means that Jesus is who he says he is and what that means for her life. Martha just doesn't get it yet. Now let's turn to Mary and her interaction with Jesus. As per the custom of the time, there were other people with Mary, grieving with her in her home. But as soon as Mary hears that Jesus has called her to him, she gets up immediately and goes to Jesus. And when she reaches him, she makes this, almost the same declaration that her sister Martha does. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And immediately after her declaration, she succumbs to grieving with the rest of the mourners around her. But this grieving and mourning is different. They're not focused on Jesus, they're focused on Lazarus. They're focused on Lazarus and they succumb to this hopeless grief. And what's Jesus' response? When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Now there's more going on, there's more going on here than the English translation, that, than this particular English translation conveys. The particular words that the author chooses to use in, in the Greek provide a great deal of insight into what's actually occurring, occurring in these verses and what's going on inside of Jesus and why he's responding the way he is. So the Greek word, I'm about to butcher this. <laughs> the Greek word is enabrimasato. Butchered it hard. But um, so this word is translated in the Revised Standard Version as deeply moved. But paired with the surrounding context, this word the author uses actually suggests that Jesus was angered, deeply angered. Why would Jesus be angry? The context, the surrounding context of the surrounding context in which this word is occurring suggests that Jesus is, is angered by the lack of faith and the hopeless grieving that, Jew, that, the, that the Jews and Mary have succumbed to. And Jesus' anger also informs the reason as to why Jesus weeps. Jesus is angry and is weeping because Mary and the Jews just don't get it yet. They don't understand who he is and why he's come and why God has sent him. That being said, grief itself is not bad. We can grieve and lament over the brokennesses and injustices of our world, but we are called to grieve with hope because we know that Christ is the resurrection and the life. But Mary and the Jews still fail to understand who Jesus is and the authority that he has over life and death. Those around Jesus 
misunderstand his weeping, saying, oh, look, he had compassion on them. And others even doubt and criticize Jesus' authority, saying if he, he could heal a blind man, but he couldn't heal a sick man, he could have pre- pre- prevented Lazarus from dying. What kind of healer, what kind of rabbi is this? Mary and the Jews just don't get it yet. But despite the hopeless grief of the people around him, Jesus continues to act in a way that God calls him to. So Jesus goes to the tomb, still feeling anger towards that unbelief and that hopeless grief. But when Jesus asks for that tomb to be opened, Martha tries to stop him, saying, Lord, there is an odor. It has been four days. Just a little bit earlier, Martha had made this confession about who Jesus is and how do we know that she didn't get it? Because of this response right here. Lord, don't open the tomb. It's too late for Lazarus. There's an odor now. He's beyond hope. And what does Jesus say? Did I not tell you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? And then Jesus turns away from Mary, Martha, and the mourners and looks up to his Father in heaven. He turns to the Father and talks to him for the benefit of the people around them in order to reveal why he's been sent and the purpose of the actions that he's about to take. And he says, Father, I thank thee for thou hast heard me. I knew that thou hearest me always, but I have said this on account of the people standing by, that they may believe that thou didst send me. Jesus addresses the dead man by name. Lazarus, come out. Lazarus walks out, still wrapped in bandages, and Jesus commands the community to come around this man and take the bandages off. Just as Jesus said at the beginning of our passage, many who saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead now believe that Jesus was who he said he was and was sent by God. Church, earlier in our service today, you made a confession of faith that is an orthodox and historic creed that has been said by thousands of Christians in the past, in the present, and that same creed will be repeated by Christians who come after us. When we made this confession of faith together, did you just read words on a screen or recite things that you've been taught since childhood that you've memorized? Did you profess beliefs and faith that you know in your head to be true? Or did you profess and confess your faith that you know in your head to be true, but also in your heart to be true, and you live it out daily? Do you live out what you believe? I'll be honest with y'all, every single time I sat down to research or work on this sermon, I was convicted. This was a hard sermon to write because I was just so convicted by it. Not by the sermon, by the passage. Um, How many times have I given the right answer or made the true and orthodox confession of faith and failed to live my life in a way that reflects that faith? In Christ? How many times have I boldly declared that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, my Lord, my Savior, my Redeemer, the resurrection, and the life, and still clung to things that bind me to this world? How many times have I made these confessions and then promptly refused to entrust myself fully to Christ? How many times have I lamented without hope? How many times have y'all done these things as well? Lord, forgive us. 
Brothers and sisters, we are Easter people. When Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, the disciples Mary and Martha had a better understanding of who Jesus truly was, but they didn't have the full story yet. It wasn't until after the crucifixion, the resurrection, and the ascension that they would truly understand, oh, this is God. This is God incarnate. Jesus is who he says he is, and he does offer freedom and redemption and new life. We have hope. As Easter people, we have the benefit of knowing the full story. We have the benefit of knowing the whole thing. We know that Christ is God incarnate, that he is the resurrection and the life, the Son of God. We know that he lived, died, rose, ascended, and is sitting at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, reigning over heaven and earth right now limiting the powers of sin and brokenness and evil, and we have a hope that he is coming back to bring the fullness of the kingdom of God. We know, we know these things. We know through Christ that we live and die differently than the rest of the world because we are a people who live and grieve with hope and assurance that Christ is who he says he is. Church, You've been through a lot these past few months. We've all been through a lot these past few months. And it's okay to grieve. It's okay to grieve and lament and say, Lord, come and help us. But we have to grieve with hope. We are people called to grieve and lament with hope because Christ is our Messiah, God incarnate, the resurrection and the life. Let us cling to that hope and walk with Christ. And so, brothers and sisters, I ask you again, do you believe that Jesus Christ is who he says he is, and does your life reflect that faith? Will you please join me in prayer? Almighty God, King of kings and Lord of lords, help us to entrust ourselves to you fully. Help us to live like people who know that you are our Lord, that you are the resurrection and the life. Give us new life for your glory and your glory alone. Amen.